Psalm 51, let's give our attention to God's word, verses 1 through 19. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then then bulls will be offered on your altar. The Bible says that all men are like grass and that all of, all of man's glory is like the flower of the field and that grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. Now let me pray for us before we talk about it more tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that you are a God who speaks and you speak into the chaos of this world into the chaos of our lives and of our own hearts. And Father, we pray that as you do that, uh, that you would be at work in your word. Uh, That your word would do what it says, which is go out with power. And that it would would work on hearts as um, unfortunately twisted as ours. Father, I need that to happen. We all need that to happen. So would you do it? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Years ago, uh, around seminary, when I was in seminary, um, so 12, 15 years ago, I used to watch a lot of Cops. The the TV show Cops. Like a lot. And I mean, I got to the point where, there's no telling how many episodes of Cops there are, where... Like, I hadn't seen one I hadn't seen before. Um, but one of my favorite scenes that I remember was uh, basically a cop had witnessed uh, what he presumed to be uh, a guy selling another guy drugs. And so he goes and he stops the guy. So this guy knows he's busted. 
And he does everything in his power to not admit it. So he denies it up and down, right? He just, you know, nope, it's not what I was doing, not what I was doing. And so the cop asks him, he says, you know, do you have any uh, illegal, uh, if and when I search you, am I going to find anything illegal on you, drugs or paraphernalia? And the guy says, absolutely not, of course not, you know, perish the thought. And uh, so he begins to search him. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, as he pulls his hands out of this guy's pockets, he comes out with a handful of illegal drugs. And the guy's reaction was priceless, which is, you know, this is the point. This is why I remember it. So the cop pulls out these drugs and he, you know, he says, well, what about these? And he pauses for just a second. And then he looks the cop dead in the face. And with this look of true, like, astonishment, he says, wait, these aren't my pants. <laughs> right, as if he was really just now realizing, wait, come from right this guy just could not admit that he was wrong Um, and that's obviously a a funny and and fairly extreme example but we all know what it's like we all know how hard it is to admit that we're wrong about something even when we know we're caught even when we know we've done something wrong right even a lot of times when we feel it we've done something we wish we hadn't it's really hard uh, to admit that. Uh, we have that feeling of, of guilt, which can be a really complicated and, and uh, difficult feeling. Uh, we hate feeling guilty because of, gosh, I think a, a number of reasons, but we hate feeling guilty because of, at least maybe because of what it says, uh, seems to say about us. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to try to keep that to a minimum. Um, what it seems to say about us. Um, and we want that feeling to just go away. And yet, at the same time, we can respond to that feeling of guilt in all sorts of different ways. Right? We can sometimes just sort of ignore it. We can try to um, argue against it. We can try to rationalize why we did it. We can sometimes just wallow in it. And, and you know, all sorts of reactions. But it can be a really complicated Feeling, And that's actually what this psalm, uh, in a lot of ways, is about. Uh, this semester, if you've been with us, you know we're studying through the psalms. And our theme every week is dealing with feeling. How we deal with our feelings. The psalms, we say every week, right, the psalms are, uh, they're songs. They're songs that, God's, that God has given us. And, uh, right, just like any song... Songs traffic in in emotion. They help us to um, understand our emotions, to express our emotions. They even help uh, in some ways to shape our emotions. Uh, And the Psalms, in God's Word, do the same thing for us. And so here we look tonight, uh, we're going to look at this this feeling of guilt. And when we've done wrong. Um, And like I said, it's a really complex feeling and emotion and I want you to understand that we're just able to begin to scratch the surface of all, you know, guilt, right? So please keep that in mind. Uh, We certainly can't, you know, cover this from every aspect. And I feel the same way about this psalm, and I feel the need to say that on the front end. This is such a rich and beautiful psalm. And there's just, frankly, a lot of it that we're, we're not going to be able to interact with tonight.
So, uh, yeah, I just feel like I need to say that. Um, All right, before we dig in, this is a psalm in which we don't know the context of a lot of these psalms, right? They're 150. Um, A lot of them we don't know who wrote, or some of them we don't know who wrote them. Uh, A lot of them we don't know the the reason they were written. Um, But this is one where we we do have the context, and it's very important here. Um, You see it in the uh, sort of uh, little bit there before verse, uh, the first verse. Uh, and so the background of the psalm comes from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, I've had the flu for a week, so deal with it. Um, uh, all right, so what's the context of the psalm? 2 Samuel uh, 11 and 12, David is king, right? He's king of Israel. And... He is at, he's at home, so all of his, his army is off fighting, and he should actually be with them. He should be leading his army in battle, but he's, he stayed back for whatever reason, and he's at his, uh, he's at his palace, and uh, you know, the way things are arranged, sort of off in the distance, he's able to, able to see this woman named Bathsheba uh, bathing. Right, uh, you're, Evidently, you would sort of bathe on your roof, and the palace evidently was higher up, and uh, it's not as weird as it would, would seem. But David had this vantage point, and he watched this woman bathe, and he began to lust after her. And as the king, who had you know, essentially any and everything that he wanted at his fingertips, uh, he basically has her brought to the palace for himself. And, uh, and he sleeps with her. And it's important to note that uh, part of the context that Bathsheba, so David himself is married, and Bathsheba's married also. But she's not just married to anybody. She's actually married to this guy named Uriah. And Uriah was one of David's, uh, what the Bible calls, mighty men. Uh, he was one of the guys uh, that uh, almost certainly had fought to save David's life from King Saul, who was king before him. So he's one of David's most trusted um, uh, soldiers. Uh, in some ways, he was probably a trusted friend. And, but even still, David has this woman, and, and because he wants her, he has her. Uh, so uh, sometime later, though, she sends word to the king that uh, that wasn't just an, sort of this isolated incident that wasn't going to have any further uh, repercussions because she was pregnant. And so now... David, in in his thinking, now he's got a problem. There's going to be a baby. And if you do the math, Uriah, the husband, is often at war. And so uh, he concocts this plan. He says, uh, he calls for Uriah to come home from battle. And he basically celebrates him and says, you know, Uriah, you're such an awesome guy. And he was, by the way. Very noble man, as you'll see. Um, And he says, "You, you fought so bravely for me, and I want you basically to take a break Uh, you know, you're home, enjoy, you know, he has a banquet for him. And he says, now go home and be with your wife, right? You've been off at the battlefield. You've been on, you know, you've been deployed for a little bit. Hey, you and the wife go home, enjoy some time together. You deserve it. Well, Uriah is such a good guy that he says, no way, no way would I do that. My men are out fighting. You think I'm going to come home and just sort of, you know, have a second honeymoon? No way. And so he sleeps outside his own house. 
Right? Because the idea was, you know, he'll be home with his wife, and of course they'll sleep together and enjoy one another. And then, you know, about, about nine months later, they'll have a baby. And like, well, of course it's Uriah's, right? But that didn't work. Because Uriah was such a good dude. And so uh, David's next idea is, well, we're going to have to kill him. And so he, he sends word to another general, and he says, uh, send Uriah into the, the fiercest part of the battle. And when it's, when it's at its peak, have everybody else pull back. And that's what happens, and Uriah is killed. So David has this great guy murdered to cover up his sin. And then, a little while later, God sends a, a prophet to David. Sends this guy named Nathan to go in and talk to David. And Nathan shows up and he says, David, I, I, wanted to, I got a story for you. He says there was this uh, really poor guy. And he didn't have really anything in the world, hardly. But, but he did have this one prized lamb, this sheep. It was his prized possession. He loved it. He took great care of it. And then one day this rich guy who had everything he wanted comes along and sees the lamb and he takes the lamb from the poor guy and kills it and throws a party for his friends just because he wanted to. And David says, right, he hears that story and he just gets outraged and he says, that guy should die for doing that. And Nathan says, that guy is you. You're that guy. You had everything you could want. And you, you, took, you took that from this guy and then you killed him for it. You're that guy. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, it hits him. Right? It, it, he's overwhelmed with his guilt before God. And this psalm that we have here tonight that we're going to look at is his expression of that guilt. Um, and uh, so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, we're going to look at this again. There's so much we could look at. We've got to really focus. Um, I think as we look at this, it's going to help us to, uh, to feel our guilt because it can be easy, easy for us to not feel our guilt. And it's going to help us deal with our guilt. So we're going to look at this in three ways. We're, um, we're going to look at it sort of through the lens of sin. Uh, we're going to see... <coughs> we're going to see David... Or rather, uh, we're going to see sin's true nature. We're going to see the uh, sin's depth. And then we're going to see sin's power. Uh, so, uh, quickly... Let's look at sin's true nature. Um, David is brought to repentance because, partly because he sees the true nature of his sin really for the first time, at least in this regard. Look at verse 4. David says uh, in singing the psalm to God, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, that might be confusing at first and seem odd, right? For, God, for David to look at God and say, against you and you only have I sinned. Because you might think like, well, you know, it would seem like Uriah might take some exception to that, right? They're like, I was murdered. And, and, that, and the answer is, yes, of course, he did sin against, <coughs> against Uriah and, and against Bathsheba. Um, but what David means is that he sees that there's something at work 
behind, even behind sinning against Bathsheba and, and, your, and Uriah. That there's something bigger and deeper at play there. Um, right, that, that, that those sins point to a deeper sin. What is it that would cause David to willingly break God's word against adultery? Uh, to, to profane the image of God in Uriah and to kill him. And at the root of it all, I think what David begins to see is that fundamentally he mistrusts God. That fundamentally his sin is against God first. Right? He doubted that God really cared for him, that God has his best interests at heart. Um, and if you think about it, that's... That's really the root, that, that has always been the root of sin. Sin's true nature. If you go all the way back to Genesis, uh, gen, what, uh, 2, 3, um, when, when sin enters the world, what does it look like? Right? God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. And Satan comes along and, and says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat of any of the trees? And she says, no, just this one. And he says, well, you know why God doesn't want you to eat of that tree? Because if you eat of that tree, he knows you'll be just like he is. And Adam and Eve begin to think for the first time, wait a minute. Is God keeping something something good back from us? And that thought begins to creep in their mind. Maybe you can't trust him. Maybe he's kind of good. Maybe, but maybe he could be better. They begin to doubt, uh, begin to think, he, he, he's, he doesn't really care about me like he says he does. And the same's true here with David. Um, and David, David now has begun to realize that. That what's behind even my um, sinning against uh, Bathsheba and Uriah in those ways Really what's going on is that I don't trust God. I don't trust his provision for me. I think I can take my life and deal in such a way that I'll come out better. And I think that helps me and you to understand ourselves, right? And, and, and our guilt and our sin, right? It helps us to see that the things that we do that are wrong are really, in some sense, just um, symptoms of a deeper problem, So in other words, we don't just lie because it'll make things easier for us. There's something far deeper going on. Uh, We don't just misuse sex in whatever way just because because it feels good. I mean, is that why? Well, yeah. But it goes deeper than that. Um, People don't just get drunk just because it's fun. I mean, is that why people do it? Well, yeah, sure, on some sort of surface level. But it goes much deeper than that. Right? We don't just lose our temper just because we were frustrated. It goes deeper. We do those things. We have to see that we do those things because fundamentally we don't trust God. We think that our way will work out. That God's keeping something back from us. And that helps us to understand how we should repent. Because we... Because then and only then can we know what to repent of. Right? We tend to... Um, right? It helps us to really feel our guilt. Because I think 
at least for me, I can tend to, to look at my guilt and, and it's very surfacy, right? Like almost like, you know, uh, I guess I feel bad because I've broken some rules, right? Kind of eye roll, I guess. But what if the reality is that it's not that I've just broken some rules. It's that I've rejected a relationship. I've rejected God and his, his care for me, his love for me. I think it helps us to begin to really see the reality of our guilt. We're going to come back to this at the end. Secondly, what I want you to see from this passage um, is <clears throat> we get a little bit of, we see the depth of our sin. A second big aspect of David's repentance is what we see in verse 5. Look, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All right, so what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that there were some sort of sinful circumstances surrounding his conception, right? That he was you know, conceived out of wedlock or something like that. Um, but rather what he's saying is that he understands that he was born this way. He was born with his heart bent away from God. Um, that his, his wickedness, his evil, his guilt, his sin, it's, it's part of who he is. It's, it, it goes down all the way to his very core. It's his instinct. It's almost like the instinct of a wild animal. Um, I, I think I've t- told, you, told some of you this um, I watched a documentary a while back about uh, grizzly bears, fascinated by bears. and um, We get lots of bear illustrations here at RUF. Uh, but I, I saw this one documentary, and it largely was profiling this guy that uh, essentially tames and trains grizzly bears. Uh, you know, for movies and commercials and things like that, right? Whatever Will Ferrell movie where he, you know, dances with a bear, this guy trained that grizzly bear. By the way, for the reason you're about to hear, not in a million years would I be near a grizzly bear. I don't care how trained it is. This is why. Because, so this is the guy that trained the bear. And they show this footage. They show the footage. Uh, at his home sort of training arena, he's got this grizzly bear that he's working with. And he's using his own cousin, his cousin who willingly volunteers, <coughs> to, uh, to sort of you know, interact with this bear in a certain way. And I can't remember exactly what, like the bear was going to come and like, you know, take something out of his pocket or, uh, you know, sniff his neck or do something. And he, so he tells his cousin, he's like, look, all you got to do, just stand still, right? No problem. And so the cousin stands still, he's got his arms out and this enormous animal, right? Comes up and he's doing what he wants him to do. And, and he's, he's sniffing at him, it's this huge towering beast. And he sniffs at him around, you know, around his neck. And this guy, I mean ever so slightly, just kind of flinches. Just kind of draws back just a little from this animal. And that thing pounced on him like that. And it killed him. It's brutal. Right? You see this guy, because the, the other guy comes running in with a stick and a hose and he gets the bear off. And the cousin runs off screen and... What, yeah, what you can see is it is, I, I, don't in, I didn't intend this point, grizzly, <laughs> okay? Um, and, he, and, he, and he died. He died. Because it doesn't matter how much, right, like there's a sense in which, and that's why I said, you can tame that bear all you want to. I ain't getting near it. Why? 
because it still has the instinct of a bear. It can't help it. And it, just like that, right? And there is, there is a sense in which, that's a little bit of like what David's saying here. He recognizes that our sin nature, it goes all the way down to our core. It's part of our instinct. Uh, one commentator I read said something along these lines I thought was really powerful. He said, uh, David's, it's like David's not just overwhelmed with the fact that he did something like that, but that he was capable of doing it again. That's what he's beginning to see about himself. Right, so what does that mean for us? Well, look, it's certainly not to excuse sin and say, like, well, part of my nature, right? Like, just instinct, right? Because it's still wrong. Just because it's natural doesn't make it right. It means that we have to come to terms with the truth that our sin, right, they're, they're not just sort of these unusual breaks from the norm that we can just chalk up and say, like, gosh, I don't know where that came from. That's not me. Um, that, that's just not who I, I really am. Right? We've, we've begun to truly repent when we begin to see and, and own our guilt and realize that's exactly who I am. That thing that I said to you, yeah, that, that's actually a, a part of who I am. Um, our sin goes down to our core. And I think, again, it helps us to feel and, and feel the reality of our guilt. All right, so thirdly and finally, <coughs> we need to take a look at um, how to deal with our guilt. And maybe better said, as you'll see, how our guilt is dealt with. Uh, so thirdly, our, our, I've called this point sin's power. Uh, and really, uh, probably better said, uh, what we're going to see here is David's powerlessness against it. Um, and really, this aspect is more implicit because it's all throughout the psalm. But it's very real. It's very beautiful. Um, and I think it's, it's at the forefront here in the first couple of verses. But, um, right, David is overwhelmed with his sin. He's seen it for what it really is, that it's an offense against God. It goes all the way down to his core. Uh, it's all the way into his heart. And he's left with nothing else but to cast himself as sinful as he is onto the grace and the mercy of God. Right? He sees that there's nothing he can do to fix it. Right? Sin has this power. Uh, or like I said, maybe really what David is seeing is he is utterly powerless to do anything about it. So David sees these two things. One, that he's, he's far more wicked and guilty than he, than he could ever really have imagined. And at the same time, he recognizes that God is gracious and merciful and that he can, and that he can just go to him. Um, and that's what it looks like to Repent. It looks like to know that you can't clean yourself up enough to go to God. But that the only way you can actually deal with guilt truly is to go to, go to God just like you are. In your sin. Um, 
And what you find is, is cleansing. Uh, the, the verb that, that David uses there in verse 2 for wash uh, is typically used for washing clothes. And it seems like David is giving us this picture of, of going to God covered in filth. Right? His clothes are just disgusting. And yet he goes to God just like he is to get washed, to get clean. Uh, it makes me think of a story that a good friend of mine, uh, he has one of the most horrific like senior prom stories that I've ever heard. Maybe besides like Carrie, right? Like Stephen King's Carrie, where a lot of people die. Uh, it's not quite that horrific. But so his story, when you, when you hear him tell it, and I've heard him tell it maybe a dozen times, um, it is on the one hand, Unbelievably hilarious and utterly horrifying. And you'll see why. The basic gist is that the night starts out and uh, he's looking good. Late 90s, okay. He's looking good in his white tux, right? And he and his date and uh, a few other couples go to this nice restaurant before the prom. And then all of a sudden... His stomach just, you know, boom, right? It's just like, oh, we're, do- we're doing this now. And so he, he excuses himself and he goes to the restroom. And it's one of those, you get there, there are two options and they're, and they're both not options right now. And so he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And his stomach is increasingly not waiting. And finally, mercifully, right, like one guy leaves and he goes in there and it's just been, a, he, it was just a little too long. White tux, no longer white. And so now, I'm telling you, it is so funny and just so horrifying. He, oh, I, wish, I wish I could have him here just tell the whole thing. He is now covered in his own filth, in his prom tux. This is before cell phones, okay? He's got nothing. Like, he is stuck as stuck gets. You can't text your buddies and be like, hey, need help. Of course, there are no paper towels anymore. Like, that guy took the last one. He is as stuck as it gets. He's covered in his own filth, and he's trapped. Right? Can you imagine the terror? Like, I guess I'm going to... I guess I'm going to either stay here until they close this place down or I'm going to walk out in front of everyone. What am I going to do? Because he's got no way to clean himself up. Mercifully, his friends finally come to check on him. Create this little human shield around. I finished this because otherwise you wouldn't think about anything else other than, well, what happened? Create this like human shield. They immediately get outside and, you know, it works out. But, and look, it's... it's funny and horrible as that is, right? It's, I think it's actually a decent little taste of what, of what this is telling us about us and our sin before God. That, that we're covered in our own... It's, I mean, right, like, yeah, it's funny, but it's disgusting, right, that story. And our reality is even worse. 
And yet the beauty of it is that you have a God that essentially says, look, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to hunker terrified in the bathroom. You can just come to me as you are. And and I will clean you up. I'll protect you and I, I will clean you. But you've got to come just like you are. You've got to come just dripping with your sin. And look, here's the great news. You get to. You get to come in the, just with your filth all over you. And that flies in the face, I think, of the way we typically think of things. Right? If, if you're like me and you find yourself and you've done it again, right, the last thing you want to think about is God's presence. Right? We tend to think like, all right, just give me a little bit of time to um, put some space and some distance. So I can at least show, right, like, all right, I mean, I can go at least like two or three days, right? So that when I go to God, I, it'll be a little less embarrassing. I can at least go with something so that he knows I'm serious. So that when I go to God, he doesn't look at me and say, are you kidding Um, But the good news is we get to go just like we are. Um, And and strangely enough, right, it's actually exactly where God wants us. At at rock bottom where we say this, yes, this, this is me and all my filth. Because it's actually at that point that he can and he does give us everything we need to cleanse and cover us. Which is ultimately in the person of Jesus. All right, let me end with this thought. We got to move quick. How can you know that God really does love you like that? That He really does have your best interest at heart? Because David recognizes that, and like we said in the past, you know, couple weeks, we have we have so much advantage over David. Uh, Notice all throughout the Psalm, David recognizes. That if he's going to be forgiven and cleansed, that it's going to be something that God does entirely. Right? He, he goes to God and says, God, I need you to even just create a clean heart in me. Right? He, said, he slept with somebody that wasn't his wife and he killed you know, this guy. And he goes to God and says, I, I need you not to just cut, you know, fix that stuff. I need you to fix my heart. So how can we know? Look at verse 7. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. To David, hyssop, right? Hyssop was a, is a plant. Uh, and in the Old Testament, it was something that priests used to, to paint and spr- or sprinkle blood on stuff. Uh, to, to, um, to show that, that there was cleansing by death. Uh, in Exodus, Exodus 12 when God says, you know, kill the lamb and paint the blood on, on, the, on your door, right? So, and then I'll pass over your house. He said, paint, paint that with hyssop. Put the blood on with hyssop. Uh, Leviticus 14, you see the same thing about cleansing uh, of lepers. Um, Numbers 19. In Hebrews 9, uh, Hebrews 9 tells us that when God gave the Ten Commandments, that Moses took hyssop and he, uh, he dipped it in blood... And he sprinkled it, right? He flung it on, on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. This is how you know you're clean. And then Hebrews 9 goes on to say that the, 
all that blood, that hyssop, right, sprinkled blood, all of that was just this pointer to Jesus. To what Jesus came to do. So what David had just this sort of faint idea of, right, purge me with hyssop, put blood on me. Right, we know is the, the brilliance and the, and the beauty of the gospel. The, the magnitude of it, right? That God does let us come in our sin. And our sin cost him his son. It cost him himself. And that, I said we come back to this at the end, and we will. That, that's why it's so important to see the true nature of our guilt and to know what to repent of because... <clears throat> It's only then can we apply the good news to that. Right? It's one thing to ask God, forgive me for um, you know, my sexual sin and, and Lord, heal that. Forgive me for the mean, you know, for making fun of my roommate and will you fix me there? Right? That's a fine thing to pray. But when you begin to see the magnitude of the gospel, right, and get behind what's going on, why, why am I making fun of my roommate? Well, maybe it's because I'm just dying to be accepted by somebody. And I'm dying to be accepted by somebody because I really don't think that God has accepted me. And the gospel comes along and says, look how much God has accepted you. So much so that he would take his own blood and give it up for you. So that you you can walk into his presence just dripping with sin. Because he covers you with his blood. Goodness, we've gone long. I'm sorry. We've got to end there. Um, that's the good news of the gospel, right? That, that will transform us. Um, the good news of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that good news. For that great news. Would you take it and apply it to our hearts? And we ask it in your name.